0: Hi, I'm Olaumi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above their level of thinking. Are you looking for transmission from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life Podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi (laughs) Brigway. Okay, so here is a fun fact for you. Did you know that I failed the first term of my secondary school miserably? You know, you listening to me are probably one of those people that, you know, carried first, as we used to say then, from like nursery through secondary through in primary school all the way through and so on. But me, I was not like that. I did fairly all right. I think I did well in primary school, but by the time I got to secondary school, uh -uh. in fact, it was a completely different ball game and I failed miserably as in, I remember, I'll never forget that number. I came 77th out of, I don't know, maybe about a hundred students. And (laughs) I remember that day when the results came out and my, cause I was in boarding school and then my mom came to pick me up. I will never forget this. I can still picture in my mind where I was standing. My mom standing in front of me, and my mom, you know, I, she's a typical Nigerian woman, as in Nigerian parents, a typical Nigerian mother, as in Yoruba mother, as in the street, the loud, the shouting, and the beating, and all those smacking, and uh, yes, so <laughs> that's a picture of my mom, all right? But I will never forget what she said to me that day, because that thing, the statement, the very simple statement that she made actually left a positive imprint on my mind that helped me to go on, to be very successful in my education. So I remember her standing in front of me. I hand, I handed her my report card. She looked at it. She was like, ah, then looked back at me and then looked at the report card again. She was obviously disappointed. Like, ah, how did you not do well like this? But she looked back at me and she said something that I will never forget. And she said, don't worry. This is only the beginning. Now you see with those very simple words and has subsequent actions after that. So she didn't just say that. And then when we got to the car, like started slapping me or something, which is not beyond, you know, Yoruba parent. No, she, she was, that was the last thing she said about that, you know, and when the next term started, she would say, right, you're going to do better this term and everything. Right? So she backed what she said up with subsequent actions that were in line, but that very simple statement that she made to me actually imprinted this very important lesson on my impressionable 10 year old mind. And it is this that, listen, allow me, this is a failure. Let's not make any mistakes about this. You failed, you failed. All right. But you are not a failure because she said to me, this is only the beginning. So what she was basically saying and what I got away from that conversation was I expect you to do better and better until you reach the top. It's only the beginning. It doesn't mean that you will never do well. I expect you to keep improving until you do excellently well. And that was exactly what happened. I finished with one of the best results in that school, did my jump, was able to go straight into university of Lagos to study electrical engineering. So I did well, I finished well, I finished strong. (laughs) For my beginning was (laughs) I failed badly. Now, before I move on, you know, I want you to compare this and there's a point to this story, I promise. I want you to compare this with a family friend of mine, a very close family friend of mine, and we were the same age, the same class. And we were also, we were not in the same school, but we were in, her schools were in the same town. So she also finished first term and gave the results, the report card to her dad. But as soon, and she did just as badly as, as I did. Probably worse or better. I don't know. If it was better, it was only a little bit better. We're in the same boat. But as soon as she handed over her report card, this was what she immediately began to do. She began to complain about the school. She began to complain about the students in the school and all the girls there, how they were all witches and I'm not even joking that they were witches that were chasing her in dreams trying to kill her in dreams that the teachers didn't know how to teach that everybody was just horrible and mean etc 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 and her dad got very angry he was very angry so he matched up to the principal's office. my daughter is this is this is this is this she's clever she's brilliant how can she come to your school and then be achieving this kind of re- results she says that there are witches <laughs> <laughs> you, know, your, you know your school, why haven't you done anything? And he got very angry and he withdrew her from that school after one term. Then he took her to another school and guess what? She failed. Then he they complained again, said no, 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 all these schools are just bad and terrible nowadays, etc. Then he withdrew her again and took her to another school and she failed again. And she failed again obviously <laughs> i don't know i think we lost touch after that but that was that was as far as i knew right regarding that story now what am i trying to say so today i'm going to be talking about when you do not allow your child to face failure and to give them an opportunity to overturn that failure so overprotective parenting overprotective parenting that's the gist of what i'm going to be talking about today now don't get the wrong message from the story that i just shared okay please don't environment counts you've heard me say this many times on this podcast that let god lead you to the best environment for your child don't automatically assume that the best school in that area or in the country or whatever it is is the best one for your child there's a certain environment that is well suited for your child, and God knows that environment, and He can lead you there. So, if you find out that a school that your child is in is not the right environment, and no matter, you know, there are things out of your control that is, you know, that will hinder that child, please move that child. Don't even hesitate. So, I'm not saying that you should never remove your child from a school. How can you tell the difference? Let me give you two ways you can tell the difference, whether it is you being overprotective or the child really does need to be moved. Number one, are you blaming everything on the school and not allowing your child to take responsibility? So if for example, you know, the child is not doing well academically, he said, Oh, the teachers are bad. Nobody can teach in that school, but there are some children that are getting nines and A stars. So how is your own child different? All right. So you have to, you have to ask, why is that child getting these kind of results? Okay. You have to ask some very tough questions of yourself. If you can't put all the responsibility on the school, the child has some responsibility in it. And the second way is, have you objectively judged that situation and concluded that there are events, that are outside of your child's control that are significantly impacting their well being. All right. So it might be, for example, they're in a school and they're in a class, maybe it's primary school, and they're, they're in the same class all day, and they're just students in that school. It is very disruptive. The teacher can't even teach. Nobody listens to the teacher. Uh, da, 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 you know, you say, oh, why can't you just sit there and study? Listen, environment matters. If nobody in the school is learning, if they keep swearing at the teacher and throwing tears, you may want to remove your child from that environment. Okay? So that's how you know. If your child is doing the best they can, but the environment just is is suffocating them and not allowing them to express what God has put inside them, then you know that maybe we need to change this environment. But what I'm going to be focusing on today is when you are literally not allowing your child to even you know, express any kind of failure. Once there's a smell of failure, you jump in and you save them. You like flying like superwoman and Superman, and you whisk them up into the air and you just take them away and say, no, (laughs) I don't want you to experience this failure or the consequence of the failure. So why is it important? Let me start from there. Why is it important to let your children feel, Why is it important to let them face some of their own battles? I'll tell you why, you know, you may know that for 15 years, I worked in secondary school. So I was a teacher. I was a leader in secondary schools and over a period of about 15 years, just under 15 years and far too many times I encountered children who will be positive and motivated and confident when they are succeeding. All right. But as soon as the work became difficult, they became negative. They became defeatist and they became lazy. Why? Because they believe that no, 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 you know, I'm not doing it. They refuse to do it or pick up the book and throw it away. and say, this is stupid. That was, a, <laughs> that was one that we got a lot. This is stupid. Why do I need to do this? All right. Hmm. When these children, basically what they're exhibiting is this, when they are faced with a challenge, right? Anything that sort of wants to take them out of their comfort zone, their mind immediately shut down and they reject the opportunity to learn in that situation because they do not like, or are not used to the idea of failure. Do you know what that means? So if they know that they are going to crack it, I can, as in they can do it with their eyes closed. They're very enthusiastic. They're like, Oh yes, I'll do it. But as soon as something becomes difficult, they become, like defeat is like, no, why do we need to do this? They start to complain and also all those other things. Basically what's happening is this, that kind of child has not been taught to see failure or setbacks as opportunities to learn and to grow. They have not been taught to be resilient. So they are not resilient. So they give up very easily when things are good, they're happy. They're content, like, you know, when, (laughs) but when things become difficult, They're the first to to basically begin to exhibit negative behavior. And the thing is this, so why must our children be resilient? It's very simple. Everybody walk in the face of the earth, no matter who you are, whether you're rich, you're poor, you're male, you're female, you will fail and you will fail often at different points in life and to varying degrees. We will all fail. We fail every day, right? Now, if a child doesn't understand that failure is a part of life and is actually something that will help him or her progress and to grow in life. Every time you rush in to build that child out, or you don't allow them to actually push through, you let them give up or you remove them from that situation when something gets tough. What you are really doing is you are teaching them that failure is bad. You are teaching them to fear failure. Why is it that so many adults are walking around today? Because, you know, with a of failure, fear of failure is a major thing. Ask anyone, tell them to go and do something, start something new. And they're paralyzed for 10 years because they're afraid of failing. So what if I fail? I learn. It just shows that that's not the way to do it. I learn and I move on. That is the real attitude that we should have towards failure. But when we build children out, we're actually teaching them to avoid failure at all costs. So that when they see anything that's going to cause any kind of failure or discomfort, alarm bells will start ringing. And they're like, no, 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 back away, back away, back away. Let's escape from here. Let's not face this. That is what basically it is doing. We are building and reinforcing a mindset in those children that failure is a bad thing. It's a negative event something to be afraid of and something to avoid at all costs. That is why it's important to not always build your children out. You can't, you can't, you have to let them face some consequence, not all consequences. So (laughs) let's be clear. So for example, Um, a child, you know, is about to run into the road. You say, I've been telling you not to run into the road. Okay. You will learn today that you should not run into the road. Eh, Not that kind. Some you have to step in and save the child, but there's some where the consequence, especially the younger they are, the smaller, the consequences, because if you don't teach them to, to deal with the consequences of failure, when they get into the world, the consequences become bigger it becomes bigger. I tell, I used to tell my kids, you know, my students all the time, and I used to tell them, you know, that, listen, now you don't do your homework. Maybe you get 20 minutes attention, right? But listen, in, when you're in the real world and you're working and you don't deliver, guess what's going to happen. You lose your job and your, and your livelihood, you have a family, you need to, you know, feed your family. That is the consequence. The consequence gets bigger, the older you get. right so i want to show you this from the bible you know me i will always go into the bible (laughs) so exodus 2 i want to read something to you and i want to show you how we need the wisdom of god to be able to discern between when to launch forward and to help them with the consequence of their failure or to help them or to remove them from that situation or to protect them and also when you need to actually pull back and allow God to do what he wants to do in their lives and not to hold on and clutch onto them. Like, no, it's my child. I can never let anything happen to you. No. When they get into the rule or things will happen to them, then what experience would they have of failure? Nothing. And they will crumble at the first sight of challenges. Okay. So Exodus two reading from verse two, it says, this is talking about Moses's mother, Jochebed. It says the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her when the princess opened it she saw a baby (laughs) the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him i believe that it was the lord that put that compassion in her heart and says this must be one of the hebrew children she said then the baby's sister approached the princess should i go and find one of the hebrew women to nurse the baby for you wow (laughs) perfect timing she asked Yes, do the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother, which also happened to be her own mother, take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. So our own child, Moses, she took her own baby, Moses home to nurse him, saved his life by doing that. And even got paid. Eh? How do you spell favor? That's called favor. All right. Okay. What do I want to point out here in the story of Jochebed and Moses? The thing is in, in that, I'm want to, that I want you to see is this, there are seasons in your, in your child's life when holding tight and jumping in to solve the problem for them will do more harm than good. All right. Okay. Let's talk about, let's go back to the story of Jochebed. When Moses was born, right? The first three months, she had to protect him. So she hit him. She noticed by when, when the Bible says that she saw that he was a special baby because at the time, every male child was being killed by the Egyptians. So Pharaoh had given a decree that every child that is born, that is male must be killed. So I believe that God put something inside her heart to make her understand that no, this one must not be killed. Okay. So she saw, she knew that the, the instinct, the right thing to do at this point was to protect the baby. She did not give the baby up to say, okay, take, I'm just going to commit this child into God's hands, whatever will happen will happen. No, in the first three months, she understood that that was a season for protecting that child, for bringing that child close to her and protecting the child, but it now came to another season where the Bible says she could no longer hide him. And at that point, she literally put him in a basket and released him and allowed God, she released him not just to the river, she released him into the hands of God. So she pulled back and she decided, okay, God, I know that this is a special child and I know that you're going to take care of this child. She released him and God by himself orchestrated events that allowed that child to come out on the other side um, unscathed. Do you understand that? If she had carried on protecting that child beyond the season that she was supposed to. So after that three month mark, if she had decided, I'm still going to keep it. No, 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 I can't let this child go. They would have discovered Moses and they would have killed him. So holding on longer in a season when she was supposed to let go would have been absolutely detrimental to the life of Moses. Can you see what I'm saying? So, there are seasons. There's a season when you protect. There are situations and events where you protect that child. If they do something wrong, you protect them from the consequence. Like I said, a child running into the road is not the time for you to say, uh-huh, I've been telling you, you don't listen. I'm going to teach you a lesson. No, you better run after that child and take the child from the road. But there are certain other seasons where the child must learn by experience to face failure and to deal with the consequence of their own failure. All right. And that is it. So Jochebed Jochebed, um, operated by the wisdom of God. She knew when to hold on. So the first three months and then she knew when to let go and to commit that child into God's hands. Basically she literally let go and said, listen, I commit whatever will happen. I believe that God is going to orchestrate events to help you come out of this situation. And that is when you need to pull back. The child will not die. Okay. Because you are entrusting them into the hands of God. So I gave the example of the, you know, of my, of my friend. So I failed my first year of secondary school badly. My mom said you failed, but this is not the end. It's only the beginning. You will do better. And I went back to the same school because even me, I was like, I don't want to be in boarding school. I want to come back home. I don't like this. school." My mom said, you are going back. She took me back to that school and she made me stay there. And I finished well, I finished excellently. One of the best results in school, my family friend, on the other hand, she did the same thing. She also failed her father. She complained to her father, her father removed her and kept moving her. And she kept failing with every new school because he never allowed her to face the consequence of her failure. Do you understand that? So we need to learn to discern when to step in and help and when to pull back and allow that child learn on their own with the help of God. Just, you don't need to be afraid. The same way Jochebed was committing Moses into the hands of God, you are not leaving that child to go and die, all right? God is with that child and God is the one that is going to help that child learn from that failure and grow as a result of it. You cannot and you must not protect them from the consequence of every failure. Please don't because it's not good for them. Okay. So yeah, listen to all of this and you might be saying, ah, I don't know. I don't think I overprotect, you know, I, you know, so I don't think, you know, I'm raising my child, you know, um, to fear failure or any of those things that you've described. So I'm going to say two things that if you are doing, you certainly are okay. Two things <laughs> as a parent, I want you to locate yourself. I want you to locate yourself. Are you doing this? And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself as well. There's one in particular that I know God is helping me and I have recognized it. So it is the first step and I'm daily receiving grace from God to be able to, to be able to move forward and move past it. All right. In fact, my husband is one, me, I'm the other. (laughs) Okay. So it is okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. All right. We're just saying that Jochebed the same way she was able to receive grace from God to do what was necessary, that we too will receive grace from God to do what is necessary for our kids. So I want you to locate yourself. How can you tell if you are raising a child that will fear failure? If you are raising your child to fear failure, the first one is over correction, over correction. So if you jump in and you're constantly correcting, so before the child carries A, you've corrected, before the child carries B, you've corrected, before the child does D, you've corrected, you stand like this, stand tall, S- sit straight. Don't say that. Don't, why can't you do da, da, da. So everything is basically correcting. You never let anything go. Do you know, that's good ish, <laughs> okay, because. I am saying this because I'm the kind of person that I see the vision. I can, you know, I'm a visionary. So I see, so I can, I, I can see straight away that if this child continues this way, this is where they're going to end up. Do you understand that? So because I see that my inclination is want to get in there and say, no, 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 correct this now but remember what we're saying we're saying there must be a balance so there's some things that you most certainly must correct don't just let the child go and say "Eh, well they will learn it by themselves if you don't teach them where would they learn it but i'm saying over correction where you are constantly correcting now what happens there is you haven't if you if the moment you see something you jump in and you correct and then the child corrects it they haven't actually experienced the failure they don't know why they shouldn't do that thing you tell them but they haven't experienced it. They haven't experienced it. I'll give you a practical example. So my son, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Swimming. So he used to go. He, he, they used to. They were doing swimming at school for a whole term or, or a whole year or something. And the first, you know, they had to pack their. They had to bring swimming trunks in school, etc. Towels. So every morning, as he was getting ready, I would. You know, see that, or oh, you haven't, um, you haven't uh, packed his bag, or oh, I'll look and see that he only has a school bag. He doesn't have a swimming bag. So I say, you haven't packed your swimming bag. Go and pack your swimming bag. So every time he was supposed to take his swimming bag to school, I corrected him. So I stepped in I said, go and do it. Go and do it. Go and do it. Right go and do it. I reminded him I corrected Said, don't make sure you do it. Make sure you do it. Pack your back, pack your back. So I corrected every single time. Then I realized then these things that I'm telling you, God reminded me too. And he said, okay, you know that this boy has not learned anything. The only thing he has learned is how to listen to his mother. That's the only lesson he's walking away with in that situation, how to listen to his mother. When his mother tells him to do something, go and do it. That's the only thing he has walked away from that situation is because you tell him, pack your swimming bag. You say, yes, mommy, and he'll go and pack his swimming bag. He's just showing you that he's obedient to you. But the fact that he is not packing it and you still keep correcting him means that he has not learned that he needs to be a self starter. And he needs to be independent of you. And he needs to be disciplined and organized. He hasn't learned that because the moment you don't remind him, guess what will happen? He will forget. So I, 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 I basically gave myself a talking to. that. Uh-uh, he stopped this. So I, I stopped correcting the first time. Guess what? Obviously he went to school, he didn't pack his swimming bag. So the school called me. <laughs> so first, first, um, experience of failure, because if he doesn't have his swimming bag, obviously he wouldn't swim and he loved it. He enjoyed going in the water. So the first consequence of the failure, the school called me and said, well, he forgot his swimming bag. Okay. I said, okay, fine. I will bring it. So the first time that he didn't take it, I took it to him because, okay. So I took it to him and I wanted, I knew I wanted him to experience that failure and use it as it and as an opportunity to teach him. So I didn't just say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not taking it. No, I wanted to have a conversation with him so that he was clear. And this is something that you should also do as a parent. Don't just jump in and give sanctions and punishment without, first of all, making it clear to the child that if you do this, this is what will happen. Because they'll, they'll sometimes think that maybe the screw is loose since, you know, parents sometimes, you, you just blow up and you act like this. The child is wanting, why is mommy behaving like this? What did I do? The child really doesn't understand. So give them, make it clear that if you do this, this will be the consequence. So the first time he forgot it, I took it to him. And when he got home, I sat him down and I said, right, obviously, this is what happens when you don't take your swimming bag with you. You will not be allowed to swim. Now I have taken it. I chose to bring it to you today, but the next time and every other time you forget your swimming bag, I will not bring it to you. So, I made it clear that he will experience the consequence of his failure if he ever had to face a failure again. And guess what? As as if you know, the next time he forgot it. Of course he did, <laughs> because that's what he you know that's that's that was a habit. And of course, the school called me and said, "Oh, he forgot his swimming bag. Would you please bring it?" And I said to the lady on the phone, "I said." Okay, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to bring it because I had made it very clear to him that if he forgets his swimming bag again, he will have to deal with the consequence of that. So he will not swim. And the lady said, oh, that's fair enough. I said, thank you. And I hung up the phone. And of course, he didn't swim. He came back and I sat down with him again and I said, you didn't swim today, did you? He said, no, I didn't. I said, why? He said, because I forgot my swimming bag. And how did I feel? So I didn't like it because I really wanted to swim. I said, well, that is a consequence of not being organized. Since that time, he never forgot it again. That is what I mean. So when I was overcorrecting, every time I saw him making a mistake, I jumped in and I said, and I fixed it. And I fixed it. I said, you know, go and pack your bag. Ah, you're out the door. Pack your bag. Have you have you done this? Have you packed this? Have you? I was overcorrecting. But when I sense that what I'm actually doing is I'm building up a child that is continually dependent. I'm just making that child more dependent on me. But I'm not going to be in his life forever. He'll soon go off to university. Am I going to be calling him and say, Did you go to lecture today? <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> I'm not that kind of other. Alright? So that's overcorrection. Over protection is the second one. I gave the example of my, my, my friend's father that basically just protected her child from experiencing that failure. She protected him. No, the other way around. He protected her. <laughs> he protected her from experiencing that failure. Now using the same example that I just gave over protection will play out like this. Every time after I had told him that he needed to pack his bag, And every time he forgot his bag, I, over protection is I keep taking the bag to him. So I keep taking the bag to him. I keep taking the bag to him. I'm protecting him from the consequence of that behavior. And I saw that in fact, that was, that was more common right as in parenting that i saw in my 15 years of experience working in secondary schools parents overprotected. so you you know you call it a, a mother up or a father and say this is what happened this is what the child did the child forgot their homework they didn't bring their homework and immediately for a lot of parents it used to baffle me immediately out of the mouth of the mother, the mother or the father will start saying, oh, well, you know, he, he went to this activity and he slept really late. He's been quite tired lately. And they would immediately come up with all sorts of excuses that would justify that child's behavior, not once, not twice regularly. they would say, no, he sh- why are you putting him? They'll call you and fight you. As nice I used to have parents, you know, call up the school and fight, request meeting, I want a meeting with the hell of you, eh? and they will call a meeting with leadership and say, of course you don't take those meetings. You just say, I, I'm busy. All right. If you, if you really want me, when it's time for me to call you in, I will call you in and it may be to tell you that, you know, I'm excluding your child. Do you understand? So they would, they would challenge the school. They never saw their child as in having done anything wrong. That's overprotection. So the child did something wrong clearly, and then you wrap them, you wrap them in cutting wound and say, no, 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 no. I don't want you to bear the consequence of that. So those are two ways where you can identify whether you are raising a child that will be crippled by failure, that will fear failure. So overcorrection and overprotection. Okay? So, right. Let me move on. Why do we as parents, why do we do this? And notice I said we, because we all do to a certain degree. Nobody, because you have that protective instinct. And you also have that correct correction instinct where you don't, who wants to raise a child? That will be a bomb sleeping on the, on the street. So you want to correct the child. You also want to protect the child. But there, like Joker bed, we need the wisdom to be able to do it at the right time and in the right season. It can be every time. So what is the motivation? Why do we really as parents do that? Why do we overprotect or overcorrect our kids? The first obvious reason is it's out of love you love your child, right? You want to protect them. Okay. That's the reason It's love that is misguided. (laughs) So it is misguided love because love will tell you that if I keep bailing this child out one day, that child is going to turn around and that child is going to hate the parents because they say, you did not teach me these things. You didn't teach me that this is how the world really operates. And the second one is because of our own past experiences. So you may have been bullied at school as a parent. Your parents may have been extremely strict with you and you thought, no, 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 I'm not raising my child like that. And as a result of that, you go to the other extreme. So it's love and it's also based on past experience. So you're essentially out of that love and a desire to protect your child's self-esteem you basically have bulldozed every uncomfortable bump, every obstacle, every challenge out of their way. And by doing that, you have deprived that child of the most important lesson of their childhood, that setbacks, that failures, that mistakes are the very things they need to teach them how to be persistent how to be independent, how to be resilient, how to be resourceful. If a child never faces failure, how will they ever be resilient? Resilient means to be able to bounce back from a setback or a failure. If everything is smooth sailing, when they get out into the world, at the first bump, they're going to crumble. They're going to come back running to you. Why? Because you always sorted it out for them. Okay. Now the second one is, can you locate your child? How do you know that your child is not very resilient? So what are the things that you can observe to help you see if you are raising a child to fear failure or your child is not very resilient? The first one is if that child is too afraid to take risks. So you're in a new place, say, go and talk. No, I don't want, I don't want to go anywhere. Okay. Now some children are quiet. Don't get me wrong. All right? I'm an introvert through and through. <laughs> so it's not always it. I prefer to stay in my own company. I'm not talking about that. Where, But the child will just cling to you, will never want to try something new or want to go on. Do you understand? So the child is too afraid to take any kind of risk. The second one is if the child is hesitant. So maybe in school, for example, say so they won't raise their hand. They won't take a chance on an idea that will make them appear like they're not smart. So anything that's going to maybe make them, take them a little bit out of their comfort zone or make them look not, you know, not look very good, they back away from it, they, they back away from it. So in school, also observe when they're interacting with other children. If somebody happen, you know seems to be doing better, if they're playing, games is actually one of the best ways to observe this. And I don't mean video games. I mean, maybe like board games or they're just playing and chatting with their friends. If somebody is winning other than them, how do they react? How do they, do they sort of recline and say, I'm not playing, it's a stupid game anyway, or whatever it is. So anything that will make them not be the best, right? You have to watch that. It means that child is afraid of failure. The third one is if they get overtly emotional, when a conflict presents itself when a conflict presents itself, they get overtly emotional. And I think almost every child, because when a baby is born, this is how it happens. So when a child is born, the child is overtly emotional. When the child needs anything, the child cries. That is how we know that the child needs anything. If the child is hungry, the child will cry. If the child is wet, the child will cry. Do you understand? But then as they begin to grow by like age one, you want to begin to tell the child why are you crying Just tell mommy what you want or tell daddy what you want are you hungry yes no you want to, you want the child to tra- to transition from using emotions to communicate to using their words to communicate now what happens is if the child keeps growing and every time they encounter any kind of challenge, if you haven't trained them to understand that you don't resort to overt emotional um, display, they will keep doing that. So instead of sitting there and rationalizing and saying, what is the right thing to do in this situation? They will default to what they were born with that instinct to cry or to be emotional or to be angry. Okay. When they face a challenge. So that's another one. And the last one, and oh boy, you know, I, <laughs> I've seen this again, years of experience is arrogance and condescending behavior. So condescending behavior as in patronizing superiority, like, oh, I, I, <laughs> why do I need to do that? I know that, you know, that's, that's just, oh, as in they don't, they, they just, do you they're, they're like the the best in their own eyes. Nobody's as good as them. It, no, no, there's no, Johnson. Even if they're not doing well, they'll still think that nobody, that's not So Let's not get it wrong. Confidence is having, having an assurance that no matter what I face, I will overcome and I will do well. Arrogance is you are, you are not doing well. You are not the best yet and you're just carrying this air around like I'm the best. I'm the best. Okay. And so it's patronizing superiority. They think they're superior to everyone. And you know why a child will have that kind of mentality? They haven't, they have an extremely limited experience of failure. That's why. So if you, if, if they were raised and everything was done for them and they've never really gone through any kind of failure, obviously in their mind, they will think they're the best thing that's happened to the whole world, do you understand? In a bad way, in a, not a good way. (laughs) So if they have an extremely limited experience of failure, they will feel superior. And it is also, it's, um, it's deceptive because I will see kids like that and they just think that they're the best and, you know, I'm just the best. I don't need to do any work. And they'll, when the results come out, they would have failed. They would have failed because they have an, um, what's the word? A bloated, a bloated, um, view of their own capability in that situation. Do you understand? So they have exaggerated what they can do. Instead of you say, ah, actually, if I'm being objective, I'm at six, I want to get to 10. So because I know I'm at six, I know what to do and how much work is going to take me to get to 10. But if the child is, has a condescending attitude and arrogance, they say, oh, I'm a 10, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. And then the exam, they'll do the exam. They'll find out that they're is six. Okay. So those are the four ways that you can identify and locate your child. If they're displaying any of those things or more than one regularly, you you need to begin to take steps to help your child develop resilience. Okay. And that's what I'm going to finish up with today on the podcast. I'm going to share with you five ways, five practical ways that you can help your child develop resilience. Resilience is to let them face failure, experience failure, and then bounce back from failure. Okay. Number one, it links to what I had already said. Don't wrap your children in cotton wool. Don't like, oh, oh, my child, I can't let you, you know, something might happen, you know, and then you protect them from everything right? Because you know what that does? If you keep allowing them to do that, then it you will raise a child that will blame everything and everyone else, but themselves when things go wrong, because they're so used to it never being them. And the thing is, if you allow that child, that child will never take responsibility. You haven't allowed them take responsibility. So they will not take responsibility. Okay. Now, how do you do this? How do you practically not wrap your child in cotton wool and overprotect? Okay. The thing is, you're not saying it is okay to fail, So don't make it okay to fail. Don't protect them from the pain of failure by saying things like, Oh, it's fine. Oh, not everyone is good at maths. I was terrible at maths, you know, that kind of thing. If I have a pound for every time I heard that one, Oh, maths is hard. Anyway, don't worry. You don't need to do that well. Who said, okay, so don't, don't protect them from the consequence of their failure. Like I gave the example, the child forgot their homework. Agree with the school and say, okay, what was this a consequence? And it was made clear to the child, right? You forgot your homework. You're going to have to do the detention and side with the school, let them feel the pain and take responsibility and the consequence of that failure. But if you keep jumping in, what would happen is you are literally creating a child that is so weak. If I can use that word, not weak in terms of they're not confident. They can be confident, as I said, but their resolve, their ability to face you know, discomfort or challenges, and to square up to it and say, Listen, I'm going to come out of this. You are weakening that resolve. So, encourage them to resolve the situation by thinking creatively and trying new strategies or approaches. So, if a child is maybe um, doing something or homework, and you know, this with my children, they'll get to a point. Um, Okay. So my son is younger, which is more recent. Who will get to something and say, I, I I don't, you know, this, this is just something I, in fact, I remember one example in particular, so he was doing a maths question and then he just came up to me and said, the question is wrong, (laughs) the question is wrong. There's something wrong with the question. I said, why? Because I worked out the answer and it's not the answer that they are saying. I said, Hey, I said, it's possible. Sometimes they make mistakes in textbooks. But can I have a look? So I had a look and I said, what answer did they get? He told me, I walked to I said, listen, I got the same answer as them. I said, oh, so basically you have estimated your own ability, intelligence in this, that nobody, that you could not possibly be right. I said, that's a dangerous way to live. You at least have to entertain the possibility that you could be wrong. And then that will make you double check and say, did I miss something? So it was a valuable opportunity for me to teach him that lesson to say, why didn't you think that, ah, I could be wrong. So let me go and check my answers again. And then he went back, he checked it and he realized he had made a mistake and he got it right. Okay. So teach your children to accept responsibility and to face up to the consequences of poor decisions. Decisions, consequences rather that are going to harm them please jump in and help them <laughs> but the ones that the the consequence is little like it's going to be uncomfortable they're not going to like it yes it doesn't matter the child won't die but you are doing something incredibly you know valuable for the future of that child okay the same you know um the with my daughter, Maxine, Maxine is more, you know, uh, like literal, very creative. So, um, she's, she's more of the creative side than the logical side and maths and physics and all those things, are things that me, I love. Can you imagine? I was a maths teacher. I did engineering and then my child announced that I don't like maths and physics. I'm like, who gave birth to you? <laughs> right. But when she, I, I felt tempted, I was tempted. And that's the truth to tell her, okay, I understand. Yeah, you you're smashing it in English and all these things. Anyway, as long as she gets, you know, a good enough grade in math, it's okay. But then I caught myself like, why is it not God's brain that is inside her? Is it not God that gave her that brain? Can she not do all things through Christ? So I said, no. So I began to tell her, yes, you can. Yes, you can do it. You just need to change your approach. And she began to because she was revising for maths like she was revising for english i said no they're two different subjects you have to take a different approach she changed her approach and she smashed her maths okay so don't wrap them in cotton wool and protect them from you know not wanting to affect their self-esteem you're actually doing the opposite when you do that so number two is this don't equate a child's failure with who they are so you want a child to be resilient, to know how to bounce back, right? To be resilient means they hit failure and then they bounce back. So they deal with the failure and then they come out stronger. And this I have to say is quite popular or common with us African parents. So you bring home a record report card and you didn't carry first. And your father, or your mother will say, you're so stupid. How can you be this stupid, you know, like an idiot or something like that? And we basically take one situation and we use our words to create an identity of failure in that child. And F does not mean the child is stupid. It just means they need to change their approach. Or it means that they need to study harder. Or it means that they need to, I don't know, it could be a million possible things that they need to change. It doesn't mean the ability to be able to do it is, is zero. And, you know, like I said, I'll go back to my secondary school, you know, teaching days, we, there were sets. So they'll put people in sets and this happened in Nigeria as well. If you didn't do well in your GSS, you were either putting, you were in humanities class or science class, depending on how you did, whether you had an aptitude for sciences or humanities or not, they didn't care. They didn't care. They just basically said, oh, you got an A, you're going into science. And I remember actually a friend of mine in secondary school, she, she was, I think she never went out of top five or top three when I was carrying 77. (laughs) She did very well. Like the first three years, GSS, she was either maybe second or third or first or something like that, the first three years. And then obviously she smashed that GSS, then they put her in sciences class. Do you know that I don't even think she was in the top 50 after that. She went on to study law. She had to go back and do some new subjects, repeat some of her like jam or something. She went on to study law and they forced her into science. And she's like, what is all this physics, chemistry? No, I want literature. I want whatever. So can you see? So don't equate and obviously the reverse of that. Me that I didn't do well. It was only the grace of God that they put me in science class, a story for another day. Because if they had put me in humanities based on that, oh, you didn't, you were in, I don't know what I, how well I did or something. Guess what would have happened? I told me to be, to be doing, um, uh, what was that thing called? Like government, all those, I, I would have been like bored out of my mind because I have an analytical mind. Do you understand? So they put me in the right place and I began to flourish because I was doing things that I loved. Maths, physics, further maths, chemistry, etc So don't equate a child's failure with the child. Don't say you are a failure simply because that child failed. If the child lied, don't say you are a liar, okay? If the child, you know, um, kicked someone, don't say, why are you so violent? <laughs> please don't, don't equate it. It's, it's, it's an isolation. You have to isolate the behavior from the identity of the child, because if you keep using those words, what you are really doing is you are painting a picture for that child and you're telling them, this is who you are. That's literally what you're doing. You're saying this is who you are. Okay. And the problem with that is if a child gets an F and you say, Oh, you're such a failure. F means failure, you know, you're a failure. There's no, how do you bounce back from that? So you haven't isolated it as one failure and then you can basically learn from it and move on. You have basically said that is who you are. You are an F carrying somebody and you cannot progress from that. The child will never have the motivation or the drive to move forward beyond that. If a child is misbehaving at school and every time, you know, they call you or whatever it is, when you get home, you tell the child, I don't, you're so naughty. Yeah. You're, you're, you're basically telling the child, stay there. Stay there. Stay there. You're naughty. Keep, keep misbehaving. Even though you're, what you're trying to achieve is different, but what you are really doing is you're telling the child, this is who you are. So please continue behaving that way. So please don't do that. Number three. Okay. Present, help present challenges as exciting learning opportunities. Not everything has to be stick. And by that, I don't literally, we, we may not spank, right? They beat us when we were growing up a lot. But now I think, you know, we don't, <laughs> the beating has reduced or in some homes stopped, right? Not everything has to be stick. And by that, I mean like punishment, etc. Try carrot as well. So if you want to change something, if a child has experienced failure, instead of threatening and abusing and spanking all the time and doing all those things and always using the stick to try and correct the child, how about turning it into something that will motivate them? So use a carrot and say, and I, and I did this. So you say that, listen, we're going to track this. If over a period of a month, if you do all these things, this is what I'll do for you. This is what you get. So the child has motivation to want to actually come out of that, to want to actually face that failure and say, I'm going to overcome you. So use genuine praise and give rewards when they overcome difficult challenges. Okay. Use praise, but let me be careful here though. You know, that kind of praise where the child takes, a 10 year old child takes one step forward as in they're walking on the road. I'm, I'm being silly here, but I want to paint a picture. So let's say a 10 year old child walks, gets up and walks and say, Oh, fantastic. Oh, well done. You praise them for every little thing. Do you understand? Every little thing, every little thing, (laughs) because you know what that will do? It will also imprint on their mind is they should only put little effort. That little effort will always get rewarded. And that can blow up in your face. So I'm not saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying, set them a challenge, something that will challenge them and say, at the end of this, once you've achieved it, this is the present that is waiting for you. So use praise, use encouragement, not always stick, 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 punishment, 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 you can use both. You can mix it, but don't let it always be negative. So set something challenging for them to achieve so that they would have exerted themselves, they would have, you know, put in work to change. And if they now achieve it, give them the present. If they don't achieve it, please don't give them the present because you're also teaching them that no matter what you do, if you give up halfway, you will still get what you're pursuing. And that's not the way life works. Life doesn't work like that. You have to be resilient. You have to be diligent, right? For you to get what you're reaching for. So if you have said they won't get it, don't give them if they don't do it. So encourage them and say, listen, it's still waiting for you. I want you to still go on and do it. Okay. And the last one, no, actually not the last one. Number four is to be resilient yourself. So you need to model what you want the child to be. So be resilient yourself. So if you're listening to this and you identify that oh my goodness, my child is not very resilient. In fact, they cry every time they face any kind of up- challenge. Then you're like, I must implement all these things. And within a week or whatever, so you'd yourself, be resilient. Meaning when the child takes a step out of turn, don't don't behave like the world has ended. Like that's the end. I, you know, I just don't understand. And then you crumble and that. So be resilient yourself. Understand that it's a long game. Understand that it's a long game. Don't throw your hands up in frustration and shout at the child because he didn't manage to do it on his second attempt. Because when you do that, you are, you are telling the child that it is a losing battle. So all you need to do is tell the child to expect That, listen, you're trying to build a new habit. Sometimes you will get it wrong. When you get it wrong, just say, okay, I've gotten it wrong. What can I do to make it better? So how can I do better tomorrow? Sit down and have those conversations with that child instead of the child comes home, has failed in what they're supposed to do that day, and you completely lose it. What you are teaching that child is, listen, you can never overcome this thing. Okay. So be resilient yourself with each setback consistently reinforce that child's ability to overcome that thing or to achieve that ch- um, overcome that challenge or achieve that task or habits or whatever it is until they get it right So reinforce rather than like scatter everything. So you need to model resilience yourself. And the fifth one is educate yourself educate buy books Right? There's so many books that talk about things like this, right? I'm going to recommend three books that you can buy that talk about mindsets, right? That talk about how you can, and depending on how old your child is, get them to read. If the child is at least maybe year four, they should be able to read these books that I'm going to recommend. Or you read it together with them, which is something that I did. So I, you know, for one of them, I gave my son and my my daughter to read. So I said, go and read it. We'll discuss it. Or sometimes we just read it together as a family. So we just read the chapter and then discuss it. So you can do things like that. So there are three books that I'm going to recommend. The first one is Mindset by Carol Dweck. That's spelled D-W-E-C-K. The second one is Grit by Angela Duckworth. And the third book I'm going to recommend is Bounce by Matthew Syed. So Syed is spelled S-Y-E-D. These are books that your kids can easily read for themselves, especially Mindset and Bounce, All right? Mindset and grit maybe might be a little bit heavy-handed, but if you go on YouTube actually, you know there are always like summarized versions or whatever it is. Or uh, so, but I think they can read it to be honest with you. If they're in like primary four and above. They should be able to read it. Okay. Right. So (laughs) that is what I have come to share with you today regarding raising children that are resilient. All right. To be resilient is not an option. It's not even like, okay, it would be nice to have a resilient child. No, it is not an option because the difference between people who succeed in life and those who don't is not aptitude and it is not opportunity because we all have that. The difference is resilience, the ability to recover from failure and adversity. That is why you need to while those children are still in your care and you still have a significant amount of influence over them, help them, help them to become resilient. Okay. So that's me done and I will be back next week. Bye.